Good to see everybody. Everybody ready to celebrate Christmas? Um, well, we're, we already had some family in this weekend, and here is Kelly's mother, my mother-in-law, Candy Hill. She came and joined us. Known her since I was 19, so that was about 15 years ago. <laughs> well, tonight, hey, the text I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to eventually get to Ephesians 4. That's where I want to go. But I want to start with a little bit of context about, um, before I get there, about the difference between Old and New Covenant. And the reason is, is what's clear is that it's, it's hard to take any old, it's hard to take a life lived in the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. You can't live in both covenants, right? The, the Old New Testament, of course, is just, that's a publishing term, right? They're, they're covenants. They're Old Covenant, New Covenant. And so, you know, we lived under the Old Covenant until Christ's death. We lived under the New Covenant, Christ's resurrection. We were all filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Everybody good? Okay. To understand this, because so many times we get into the New Covenant and we start bringing in the Old Covenant lifestyle. And so when that happens, so many people get confused because we start living a life that God already paid for. So what covenant do you live in? See, you can't have two active covenants with the same person for the same issue. One, you can't have two active covenants. Jesus had to fulfill the old in order to live in the new. I'm not talking about that it is without purpose. I'm not talking about it's void. I'm talking about what covenant do you live in? What covenant are we actually living our life through? Because you can't have Jesus in some law. That's what, you can't have it. That's not what he, that's not what he intended. And so, you know, God, God's principles, wisdom, and our history pointing to Jesus that we could live this life when he rose from the dead and filled us with his Holy Spirit. Our life looked different than those believers in the Old Testament, the people that followed God. Our life had to be so much different because no longer did we have to sit there and say, God, come rain down to do this, which he still does today, but he also uses us. That he actually put the Holy Spirit in us to have this power, to live this separate life. We no longer have to go and wash before we go and, and pray. We don't have to. Matter of fact, you don't go to hell without, if you don't bless your food before you eat it today. You don't. Lightning's not going to strike you. There's these different things that people get so mixed up in because they want to add a little law to a lot of Jesus. And so when we take that mindset in the new covenant, we can get confused. And so just like Paul said, he can go back and forth. He was, you know, he was the Jews of the Jews, you know. He, he could go back and forth so easy, and, but he knew where his home was, living in the New Testament under a life with Jesus. So if you have any of the law in you, we try to outwardly perform to a standard Christ already met for us and died for. If you have your Bibles, turn to James 2. You don't have to read it. I'll kind of read it. Um, I'm getting there. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing it well. But if you show partiality, you're committing a sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. 
If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as though who you are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy. No one who has shown no mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think when I was, when I was getting ready for this tonight, The one thing that I really came away from when I was reading this is that if we carry the law in us in regards to how we live our life, we're eventually going to become lawyers that have a law opinion on the law and then will apply it in judgment to others and to churches and to things. We become these professors of the law. Because people sin differently than we do, we judge them in their sin, and we, we become our own advocates of the law. And as a result, we're not living from this place that God wanted us to live in. We're living out of what's different than us, and then we call it out. Think about the Pharisees. The Pharisees called out everything. Jesus was the exact opposite of the Pharisees, and all they did is call out the very things that was bringing life to the people in which he ministered to. You healed on the Sabbath. You didn't wash your hands. You do these things. And so we can get so caught up in it that we start living our life with a little law. And some people, it's what kind of gives them, Kelly and I would say that when we lived completely legalistic lives, it kept us safe in a channel, but it brought us no life. And it brought no life around us in the people that were around us because we had this law, we, these principles we lived by, that didn't really require faith. They just required outward conformity. I'm going to conform to the image of what you want to see that I get promoted and I can go. At the end of the day, all we do is we become law performers. And it's nowhere in the New Testament we're supposed to be performing to do anything. God got rid of the performance mechanism to reconciliation and salvation. He said, I did it. I paid for it. And so I know this sounds so remedial to some of you, but what we're seeing in the church, not just this church, but around, is still a performance mechanism that if I do this, then I will get this, and this is what will come into my life. And God, it's like all the prophecies that we just had here, the abundance is waiting, it's for you to turn, it's not waiting on you to perform. If so, then we're just a bunch of, God's a monkey grinder, and we're just pal, banging our, 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 whatever they're called, symbols, waiting on him to do something if we clang them right. And that's exhausting to me. And so when we go, like right now, and I preached on this a few weeks ago, we're talking about anxiety and peace going into the, going into the holidays. Right now, we're, in a lot of ways, we're clanging our symbols the way people want us to beat our drum. And what I'm offering today is a look at the New Testament to see from if we get out of the law and into grace and into what Christ did, what he desires for us is maturity. Maturity spiritually, relationally, and emotionally. He desires that, spiritual, that, that maturity so all the church can bond in unity. That gets us to Ephesians 4. You know, we read it all the time. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cornerstone verse here because it shows us exactly the plan of God for the church. 
not just in the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, but it talks about his desire for the heart of the church and what they're supposed to accomplish and the why. Why does he want these certain things? Why does he want us to connect in a certain way of intimacy? He has all these things, but we pass over because we still have to perform. And a lot of times we perform because we're afraid to be known. I think one of the things that Kelly, and you know, I'm glad she preached Ephesians 3 last week about the knowing. When God, when, when, when we're at our best for ourselves and for people, it's when we are known. And then when we know. When people are not known, I've never come into contact with someone not known at their best. Does that make sense? They're not known. Their lives shut off to other people, and they're never at their best when they isolate themselves. Never. I mean, I've been doing this a long, I'm 55 years old. Now, if one of you have found one person that isolates themselves and is at their best, then I will sit down and not read Ephesians 4, because the Bible would be wrong. But think about it, at your worst day was probably one of your loneliest days because you wouldn't open yourself up to somebody. And so let's, let's, let's get into this a little bit. Ephesians 4, if you uh, have your Bibles. I therefore, uh, no, there, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip, equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You all know this, verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Everyone say unity of the faith. If, the, if the one, one of the most compelling arguments for other religions besides Christianity is their unity. One of the most compelling arguments. If you think about every religion you know outside of Christ, one thing you can put in their check column is Unity. Now, you might have a couple factions, but in the church, we have, what, 150, 200 denominations, all telling the other ones they're wrong, even though Jesus is our common, is our common theme, but they're all telling each other wrong and how they should do it. Don't speak in tongues, do speak in tongues. You know, don't let women speak, do let women speak. All the various things. But one thing that I, I, that I admire about other religions is the, the unity factor that they have. It is a compelling argument. Could you imagine... Believing something that someone else believed and they didn't stab you in the back? They didn't talk behind your back because they don't want to talk to your face, but they'll tell you about all the things that is wrong with how you think. Think about that for a second. We're going into a, a season where Christ was born. He, 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 he gave us his son so that we could come together in unity, and it's the very thing that draws us apart. Celebrating San Antonio means celebrating the churches of San Antonio, celebrating the people of San Antonio, and being carrying the weight they need us to carry and them carrying the weight we need them to carry. Because if we're all brothers and sisters, here in Ephesians, he's talking about unity of the faith. We don't have to believe everything that everyone believes, but we sure can love everyone that, that believes and doesn't believe. And we can lock arms with the people we don't agree with to see something transformed. Amen? So let's keep reading. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I'm going to go back to mature manhood because what he gets into is the why. Why do we need to be mature? This is so out of my wheelhouse to teach, but I'm going to get out of it here in a minute. But I, do, I want to set this, I want to kind of set this. But 
Why? Why does he want us to be mature? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every kind of doctrine, human cunning and craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Do you know what? Deceitful schemes are not just from the enemy, they're from people. And what it, and deceitful schemes is, it, it could be just anything, even under the umbrella of, I'm not getting along, or you hurt my feelings, or you offended me. But there's this thing that goes on is why there's maturity, because what comes from that is the relational connection I'm talking about. We have the spiritual relationship in our unity with the, with the Father. We have a relational with the unity with each other. But the biggest divisive fact in the unity of each other is offense, hurt, different judgment. And he's saying we, a, mature, a sign of maturity is not letting that throw you to and fro. Not letting that get you off your game, sending in you, you into a black hole. That if you have a problem with a friend, it shouldn't send you in your, in your in a happy place in your closet. It should send you to their place to knock on their door. If you have a problem with your husband or wife or children, it shouldn't send you isolated. It should send you into a group that can help you do this. When he's talking about the unity of faith, he gives you a roadmap right here of why do you need to be mature and be in unity. Because this is what happens. This is where we start judging people because they believe differently than we do. This is where we start having disconnect in our friendships and our marriages with our children. This is the core disconnect through the body of Christ. We want to know one of the top three reasons why we don't see generational revival in the churches because we have no unity in the church and with other churches. I mean, we know Turkey is killing it, but, you know, when you hear Megan's story, it's like, but guess what? We have, what, here in, the, in, in this country, of 350 million people, we have 60% professed profess believers. Can you imagine what we get behind in unity? Can you imagine the things we could change if we were all in unity, the resources, that walls started coming down, and we quit building more walls for a church, physical walls, and start building up uh, spiritual, relational, and emotional walls with people? The impact that we could have? And so when we read, we, as we keep reading, we see this outline. And this outline walks us through to where if we don't get this, it's hard to have any type of generational revival that we're talking about we desire. Yeah. We want to see the fire build on the earth. Yeah, but guess what? After, after people get saved, they have, to be in a, they have to be in relationship. And if we're not doing relationship right, where are we putting them? So we're going to have more dysfunctional people not able to have relationship with each other because of uh, we don't want to deal with our stuff, and then we're just creating a more dysfunctional mechanism in which to make the world more dysfunctional. But guess what? We all, you know, they, they might, we might be saved, but are we functional? Are we mature? See, he doesn't want us just to get us into heaven. He wants to get us mature so we actually have impact. Because there's nothing worse than a Christian that says all these things for five years and then goes and, and then the littlest thing happens and they go off the rails and people that don't know Jesus are going, is this your God? Is this who you believe? Not that we don't have the opportunity or the privilege or the right to go off the rails, but it's how we handle it with people. Are we going off the rails at the littlest of things because the little waves now are imp impacting us when they shouldn't be? What are little waves? I don't know. Everyone's life is different. Let's continue. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head and Hindu is the Christ. I have a little note here I want to read. When you have a healthy body, it corrects itself. 
and it fixes itself. Things might be true, but not the truth, i.e., the person might be acting or doing something that is true, but is not the truth about who Christ says they are. Because it goes right into this, this next verse. From whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When you're limping, the body limps. We are built up together in unity, and when we have a healthy body, the body grows in love, not in condemnation, in love. And what that tells me is that when you see Paul talk about in Corinthians, the eye and the ear, and that we're a connected body, what he's saying here in Ephesians is that a healthy body, all parts are working. They might have pain, but the whole body feels the pain. But when you're in pain, we limp. When I'm in pain, you limp. It's that we're feeling this thing because we're such in unity that we actually have compassion and true love for one another that is attractive to the people that don't know love that don't know Christ. It's actually so attractive to them to see people come and actually care. That's why I love the inner city ministry and the ministries we're doing, the giving that we're doing. It's like, how can you demonstrate you love by somebody with words without actually an action? But how are we loving? How are we building ourselves up into unity in the body to where we can function as a, as a unit and walk straight without a limp? See, I believe, I have hope that the, the church is going to, the kingdom of God is going to just be pounce all the churches, as, including ourselves, on our heads to wake up to the true fact that until we understand unity and love in walking together and celebrating each other and mourning with each other and having all the, all the things that make you feel a certain way, make me feel a certain way, that we're so well connected that nothing can separate that, and there were a model of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and the dance that they do, that when, we come to, when people come to us, they see something that they've never experienced before because they're, they're touching something and experiencing something that is impacting their lives. Not here, but here. See, we can change people's lives. If you're not a believer in here, I can, I can, bring, 50, I can bring 200 speakers up here that will change your life with new words. But the question is, is your life going to be transformed when you walk out of here and not your mind? Because it's not our minds that's going to change the world. It's our hearts toward people that are going to change the world. And until we get that in the maturity, you know, it, it's a challenge. And so what I want to encourage you, and I have a, I have a visual of what this looks like. I have, I have a visual of what this looks like with Ephesians 4. Life doesn't get any easier, but you get stronger. This is what Paul, this is the best visual I've found for what Paul means when he's saying maturing, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. The old me, and this is, I'll give you this, the old me, one arrow, you send me over the edge. Now listen, everybody takes a few shots. You know, there's people that are out there risking their life for the gospel. There's people that are, that have sickness. There's people that are struggling with different types of addictions, relational problems. But as you grow up in mature man or womanhood in Christ, as you, you, you get actually a testimony of walking with him in the valley and, in, on the, and on the mountaintop, you build this testimony of maturity relationally, emotionally. But what's funny is, and I'm going to go back to a prior point, is that people that isolate themselves, 
and don't have relationship and all they do is read the Bible, the Bible has power, but, it's, it's, but it doesn't have power if you can't work it, walk it out in community. And so they know all the verses to say, so they're rebuking, they're casting out, they're saying all these things, but their life's falling apart because they're walking alone. And the maturity is how many, you know, is how many arrows can you take and continue on walking in life to, into what you're called to do? How many arrows can you take? You know, in Ephesians 6, it says, you know, the shield of faith that ports off the arrow. But guess what? When we're not in faith, arrows get through. And they stick to us. I've died many times with one arrow. I can take a lot now. I don't want them. But I know that I can continue to take because I can continue to move on because I have people in my life to encourage me in my call in my life that it doesn't set me and lock me down. I look at Paul. Paul's a living example of prison, of snake, of, of shipwreck, of, of beatings. And all he did is in, in prison, and he wrote most of his letters from prison, and he proclaimed the gospel even stronger. The more they persecuted him, the stronger he got. That is what changed the world. Twelve men that actually sowed into other men that changed the world. See, we can talk about changing the world until we actually, but we, we don't do it until we practically understand how. And it's not coming in here and just feeling good. It's actually being transformed. This is the only message I preach. If you ever come hear me preach, this is the same message, just different, different words. Because it's my life song is to, is to be a, a, a facilitator, a leader of people being transformed from the inside out, going out and impacting culture, not with their heads, but with their power and their mind. God's wisdom to, to world solutions. The gospel has, more, has all the solutions to the world's problems, just needs people to go and, um, and walk in them in power. And when I sit there and look at what life doesn't get any easier, has anyone's life got easier? Didn't you think when you were in junior high, you go, if I just got to high school, and then you say, if I just get to college, well, then if I just get out of college and get a job and make my own money, if I could just get married, then heaven forbid we go, if we can just have kids. Yeah, it's getting easier and easier. Then, you know, it's getting easier and easier. And we're taking arrows, and, you know, there's times where we collapse. And I look at Lisa Phillips here and see how many arrows, I mean, we've, we've seen how many arrows, I've seen how many arrows she takes, and she's a light walking through her stuff. That's not my message. I just saw her, and she just radiates light now. But she's taken so many arrows, she's a testimony of a stronger wolf that can take arrows. I can name so many people in here, but she's sitting right there, so that's why I brought her up. I would have put you in my notes. But it's what is, it, what is it that's in us? Because, see, in the old covenant, we live from an outward performance. In the new covenant, it's inward. So what's going on in here? What's, go, what's transforming in here? What is it that's inside us that is actually being transformed to handle the things that we walk through so we can be like Paul and go through the things that we, the challenges of our life, and keep getting stronger, maturing emotionally? relationally and spiritually. I've met more spiritually gifted people that are more spirit, are spiritually, emotionally, and relationally immature. Some of the smartest people about the scriptures that, that, that are relationally immature, emotionally immature, 
and spiritually immature, but they're spiritually gifted. You see the difference? See, we don't, I don't want you, I mean, I'm just speaking for me as a leader, not for them, but I, I, I don't care about your spiritual giftedness. I care about your spiritual and emotional maturity. Because if you're spiritually mature, God's going to take your gift to another level. If you're spiritually immature, you're going to hurt people with your spiritual gift. You're going to hurt people with your spiritual gift. Believe me, there's probably many testimonies of people being hurt by spiritual gifts. Maturity does look different. See, you're stronger than your excuses. God created you in him to be stronger than your excuses of why not to change. We always have, hey, I'm going to wait till January 2nd, I'm going to change. I'm going to let people in my life in the next season. Um, You know, I've been so busy, you know, my calendar's pretty full up. You know, I can't get with people to change. Yeah, okay. How's that working out for you? You know, it's the summer. I'm taking the summer off, so I'll deal with... I'll deal with change. Oh, after the holidays. You know, my life's a mess right now. You, no one knows it, but after the holidays, I'll deal with it. Yeah. Anybody ever use some of those? Um, you know, I want to wait till someone approaches me because I feel insecure about going up and sharing my problems with people, even though they're my best friends for the last 20 years. Think about this, guys. I mean, it was like what, you know, uh, what we did in pre-service prayer was like, one step forward in faith can change your life forever. One step forward in faith can change your life forever. And one step forward by a man or woman under the power of God can change the world forever. All they do, you know, we look at the generals of the faith, all they did is say yes. The ones that I see walking with in community and relationship, they finish well. The ones I see isolated thinking they know everything, isolate themselves and start believing actually they believe, belong in the green room, they fail. Because they lack the community in order to live this life out. See, bosses, <laughs> they'll fire you for excuses. God doesn't. He encourages you to get out of your excuses. Your kids give you excuses, nah. But God, when he, when he hears your excuses, can't you just see him up in heaven going, come on, you're right here. You know you need it. You just need encouragement. You just need someone that's going to come in and break that shell. You just need to open up. Guys, the holiday season is the most loneliest time. More suicides, more depression, more anxiety than any, time in the, around the, um, any other time in the world. And guess what? The, the statistics not even less for churches, for Christians. We can't law ourselves out of depression. We can just, we can't law ourselves out. We can't put more law and find relationships. What we can do is reach out. One of the most, one of the most amazing things I've ever, I've ever encountered is being loved by my friends when I'm the least lovable. Have you all ever felt unlovable? The most love I've ever felt when I felt the least lovable. Because they pursue. Are you a pursuer? 
Because listen, this spiritual maturity thing says when someone says and offends you, this spiritual, relational, emotional maturity says, that's not about me. That's really about you, so I'm going to keep pressing in. It's not about me. This is about you. Now, sometimes it is about me. But it's knowing the difference. When someone's reacting the way they shouldn't react about a situation that that shouldn't have that much uh, mind capacity in their head or how they're responding, it's very simple to see that there's something going on. Are you willing to take a step? Are you willing to take a step of faith and get in there and talk and engage them in a process to see spiritual maturity? How many of you feel like you have a gift from God? You have a gift. Everyone does, so I want to see all your hands raised. This is interaction. How many of you have gifts? You have gifts from God. How many believe he wants you to use them? Yeah. And so how, how many of you believe that since he gave you a gift that he wants you to use them, that he actually wants you to be whole in using your gift? That he actually desires for you to be whole. To prepare you to use your gift so the weight doesn't crush you. See, he can call you to places and prophesy you to places, but he's got to prepare you to be mature to handle all the weight that you're carrying with the gift that you have. There's nothing like, you know, an all, uh, like a teacher that has all the knowledge in the world but it's relational, and they're the most judgmental people in the world because they, they're spiritually, relationally, or emotionally immature. But when they're not, it's the most highlighted, unbelievable gifts because I'm not a teacher, so I love it when a gifted teacher. That's why I love listening to my wife teach. Because when she teaches, I mean, it's like, wow, this is awesome. Any of you that are teachers and you're in this place of safety, you're in this place that you're mature, it doesn't come across as judgment. If, if, you're, if you prophesy, if you're a prophet and you like, or you're, you have the gift of prophecy and you're in an unhealthy place, believe me, it comes out in your prophecy. It didn't in Jesus because he's Jesus, but we're human. And so there's this filter that comes through our mind. And so, but the gifts and callings are irrevocable, so you can prophesy in a healthy place like that. But it, in, in a long period of time, you can, it, it, it can be so detrimental to the body. See, he wants to take you and your gifting and your calling and prepare you to a place that where when you hit the, when the arrows are coming, it doesn't crush you and kill you. That it actually can get you stronger and elevate you to another level in your gifting, in your character, in your relationships, in your emotions, that you actually have more and more impact and actually more influence in who you are and how he created you to be. Because there's nothing worse than getting elevated to a place that's going to crush you and see you tumbling down and then be in despair and question why God didn't show up. I have been, in, I'm not in my buddies here, I have been elevated, a friend of mine were elevated in a church 25 years ago, for some of you new people here, to leading this Bible study called Dad the Family Shepherd. Elevated. No one knew my life except my wife. This is 1993, and this is a repeat for some of you, but bear with the people that don't. In 1993, so because I had a leadership gift and I was ministering to men, and true, but my wife didn't wasn't feeling it. <laughs> she wasn't feeling all the love I was getting as a leader in this, oh, okay, this guy's a great husband. I had, to, no one knew my life. Well, a few people, like her close friends. So here we are, us two, leading this ministry. After that, I was in, I mean, after that, we were elevated. I was in counseling, marriage counseling with my wife for nine months. And my, my friends were divorced. 
But good news is they got remarried. <laughs> they got remarried and their testimony is incredible. But it just shows you what can happen when the weight of someone promotes you and you have this gifting. Our giftings were real. They're true. But when you look at Ephesians 4, and I was most immature relationally, spiritually, and emotionally. I thought, wow, I must be arriving and my wife is dying. My wife was dying in a marriage that I was being elevated into this leadership role about family and marriage. True story. Ask Kelly. Think about that. That's a personal example of what I'm trying to get us through. Some of us are older people. We have older kids. We raised our kids under a religious platform, only now trying to undo it over the last 10 or 15 years. Whatever that was. What was that one that we did? Oh, okay, never mind. I mean, it was, it was crazy. Some of the stuff we, huh? Yeah, some of the stuff that we did. And listen, it just might look differently for you. Whatever yours, whatever yours is, it might look totally different for you. But what I'm trying to encourage you is that you have this gifting. You have the, um, all these gifts that God's put in. You have a desire to be mature. And he desires you to walk in complete maturity. But guess what? You never arrive. You're always in process. Because you're growing up, you're aging. So he, he still uses your gifting, but you're always in process and you never arrive at this, I am mature. The leaders, those leaders of leaders had insecurities, had problems relationally. But the question is, are you engaging in your process in order to see something that you've never seen before? What I also love about Ephesians 4 is it gives us a roadmap that's really, it's hard to argue with. How do you say, yeah, my, uh, my gifting is, is more important than my maturity? I've seen so many lives ruined by immature giftings and immature people. Listen, he wants to take you guys to another level, right? You hear that. You've been prophesied over that. Whatever your sphere of influence is, whether it's music or business or, you know, inner city ministry, it doesn't matter where it is. He wants to take you somewhere that he needs to put weight on you. And in order to put weight on you, he does not want to crush you. And so he needs us to walk in community. So if you're suffering, if you're out there, listen, not every, you don't have to get along with everybody you're in community with to have them help you or open up. You don't have to get along with them. Matter of fact, if you don't get along with them, it's kind of funny. That's when you know you're truly receiving something from God. That you actually go, you know what, I'm not getting along with this person. There's plenty of people. I tell people all the time if I'm counseling them, hey, if we're always getting along, then I'm probably not doing what you want me to do. Because when it comes to work dealing in people's lives, you, there's pressure involved. There is pressure to get to, the, get to the root, get to the foundation of who we are. I love Paul and the apostles were always pushing on one another. They were always pushing on one another. Even to the point of who's the greatest. I mean, think about this. In, our, in, the, in the church today, we're always looking for the superstar. When I, when I look out here and see all your faces, I said, what's the difference between them and you? In my eyes, nothing. You're all superstars because God created you to be superstars in who he created you to be. And the area he, it doesn't mean if you don't talk to 10,000 people, you're not a superstar. It's the five you're talking to. You're changing their life. Don't, don't put down 
what God's doing in your life because it's not this thing that's supposed to be look so huge. I'm supposed to talk to stadiums. Why? Try to change, try to engage with five people first. Or maybe he, you, are, you, you are meant to just rock the small group settings where people are changing life. Home churches, whether they're in Turkey or Iraq or here in San Antonio, that that's just something that you, God gives you the key to. Celebrate what he's given you and be stronger in who you are and what he's doing. And then the body can all work. Because guess what? If we all want to be senior leaders, if we all want to be speaking to stadiums, and we all want to be have the Heider Baker, Heider Baker, Baker anointing and go around the world, guess what? There's not that many roles. Because he created us, the body, to stay connected, growing in maturity, walking as one. So that when you hurt, we hurt. When we hurt, you hurt. If we can understand this concept, it's amazing how smooth that God says, he, he talks about you're going to just be moving in love, and, and what happens is, is people get caught up in the wake of that love. They, they can walk down the aisle, and they just feel this wake, and what this wake does is flow over people, and it becomes the anointing, the power that you carry. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, Five, and I'm going to paraphrase. He says, you know, I preach Christ crucified so that, what? Your faith doesn't rest on the, power, on the wisdom of men, but the power of God. That we can actually carry a wake of the power of God that people are actually feeling the anointing. And I've said this before, where actually atmospheres are shifting when you come in because they understand, like, why isn't he or she panicking in this situation? It's affecting them dearly. Well, because... They know who they are. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You don't mourn. It doesn't scare you. You don't have a little, but it doesn't keep you from moving forward. It, one night it, in May of 2017, uh, I had something come on me in a business deal. For two hours, my kids thought I was dying. The next morning, it, it, it left after two hours. Next morning, I woke up and I kept moving. 20 years ago, that was set me down. That's my testimony. Yeah, I get affected. I get fearful. So do you. We can hit anxiety. But are we going to continue to keep moving in who God calls you and open up your life to become mature relationally, emotionally, and spiritually so that we can come together in the unity of the faith in mature manhood and womanhood and see the world changed? I said it three weeks ago, great church services build the church. Great relationships build the kingdom. We can't, ha we can't have just great church services. We can't just have great church services. Brian Orm said this. Oh, you all know who Brian Orm is? He's this guy that um, he, uh, he's from San Diego. And um, here's what he said. Oh, wrong one. There it is. In finding a church, in, in, if finding a church is focused on how we get fed, then we're functioning as an infant because only babies cannot feed themselves. We don't become part of a community to get a meal. We bring our own to share. We bring our meal to share. There are babies that come to church, spiritual babies, and yes, we're feeding them. We're feeding them. 
And eventually, as we grow up in maturity, you're not coming to get fed. You're coming to share a meal. And there might be times where you need to be fed because you're down. Tragedy in your life. Um, you know, I did, I did that when my nephew died. I came up here and said, I just needed to be fed that day. I couldn't give out. I didn't bring a meal. I brought need. And there's times where y'all are going to go through things that you just come with empty hands and saying, I got nothing to give. I just need to eat a meal. But guess what? Spiritual maturity is that that we show up with what God's given us. That's our meal, and we share it with the others so all can eat and get strong in whatever you have to feed. And that is who God created you to be. You might not think you have anything to offer. I love it when I get a word from somebody that doesn't know me in this church. I do. I weigh it. But if you're a prophetic and you're a prophet, I want to hear it. I want to hear what God's saying. It doesn't mean I'm going to go, you know, you're moving to Sheboygan. It doesn't mean I'm going to pack my bags. But I sure do want to hear what God's saying. Because, see, he's given you keys that might open up something that I'm actually going through. Some of the most love I felt when I was going through my hardest times where people would just come up and pray for me. They'd just come up and lay their hands. I didn't know what they're praying, but they're praying for me. Not because I'm just the leader, but they could see something on me or God spoke to them about me. Could you see yourself operating like that in your gifting? That you know someone's hurting, but your, your shoes are off, your feet are up, the football game's on, or whatever you're doing, and you know there's someone hurting that you could actually strap them back on and go and visit them. Can you take an arrow of being tired? Can you take an arrow of being inconvenienced? To see somebody come alive, to feel loved. Can you show up? When one of my friend's mothers died, one of the things she did so well was show up. And, and I started sharing um, a lot of messages about love shows up. God showed up, right? Jesus showed up. Love shows up. He was our example of love showing up. And in showing up, and we flex and work our spiritual muscles, our relational muscles, our emotional muscles. But we have to show up and engage in the process to build the maturity and strength. You don't go to the gym by dreaming about push. I mean, you don't get big by dreaming about the gym, about prophesying to the gym, by talking about the gym, by reading the rules of the gym. You don't get stronger by doing any of that or lose any weight. You have to go to the gym. You have to show up and walk and function to get the benefit of the gym. And the same thing applies in relationship. A relational, emotional, spiritual, you have to show up. They're not going to like you sometimes. Oh, you're going to grow. They're not going to want to be your friend or they're, they're going to be just challenging relationally. It's going to test your fortitude. It's going to test everything in you. They're going to trigger you. But it's going to force you to do one thing. Go back to the one that created you to get keys to these people and remind you of who you are. Therefore, their stuff doesn't come on, on off on you that you're continuing to press in. There it is. Showing up. We only get strong in Ephesians 4 by showing up because we can't do it isolated. That's what I want to encourage you. When Kelly had her encounter last a month ago in Vacaville, one of the things that, you know, because we all want to counter. We all want to counter. We want to counter because we think there's a silver bullet. But Kelly had an encounter out of, this, out of intimacy, not the need to have the encounter change your life. 
She had a need. She didn't go, Lord, I just need to encounter you and all this is going to be okay. There was years and months and weeks of intimacy my wife seeks with the Lord. That when she asked to see something, boom, she ran into it. It was an encounter out of intimacy, not out of counter because I want something. See, we can get so desperate and want something that we start acting the part. Hence, go back to my law. What covenant are you in? We can start acting it out like, I want this, so I'm going to act this way. That's why I want to get rid of the law in our lives so we can actually be vulnerable, transparent. And my wife has spent time in her, in her quiet space, in, her, in, her, in the secret places with God to where when, he, when, when the encounter came, he said, do you want to meet? And he, she said yes, and she turned and ran into him that it was an encounter out of intimacy. And it changed her life. Even though she wasn't asking for the encounter to change her life, it did because God is good. We can come with a lot of stuff when we carry the law, and that's why I wanted to kind of have this message. That we could actually shift our mindset to encounter him for him so that he can transform us. Guys, you are all so uniquely special. In this time of season, don't ever let the enemy get you in that voice of isolation to say you're not. He created you. You look different than everybody. We all look different because of the uniqueness of who you are, the uniqueness of your giftings. There are people that share your gifting but have a uniqueness that use that gifting differently than you to reach a people you don't even know. So you, it might not be a thousand people. Yours might be five. But it doesn't make it any less special than the one that's preaching to 10,000. You have to hear that. God's not impressed with crowds. God's impressed with transformation. That's what he's impressed with. People being transformed and encountering him in their way to transform their lives. He doesn't care about crowds. He doesn't care about statistics, ministry reports. He cares about seeing. I love hearing Megan talk about, the, you know, these people are getting saved and what do they do? They start a home church. Man, that's a fire being lit right there. That's a fire being lit. I mean, that's why we want to support it and see that thing stoked. I had no idea when God pinned me to the floor to start a home church in, in, here in San Antonio, and we started with, you know, six, seven people in our house, that boom, this was going to happen. Believe me, if I did, I might have said no. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but does this make sense? <laughs> You're right, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but that's, so I want to leave you with this, and I'm going to close you all are so special that if we could take anything in the next two weeks, anything into the next year, I'm not a big calendar guy. I'm mean, like, you know, if you want to do something, do it now. You don't have to wait till January 1st, right? You know, I believe that it's just, you know, I, I, hey, there's, there's, there's all sorts of spiritual things about calendars. I'm just not, that's just not who I am. It's like, if you want to go to the gym, if you want to start doing something in the gym and flex that muscle, go tomorrow. You don't have to wait till January 2nd because you're going to, you know, you're going to crowd up all the machines that I want to use. If you, if you want to change something relationally, call the person tomorrow. If you're having trouble in your marriage, talk to your wife or your husband tonight. If you're having trouble with children and pride won't let you pick up the phone and it's the holiday season, pick up the phone and call your brother, call your sister, call your mother. Start the, start the engagement today, tonight, tomorrow. Or what's your excuse? After the holiday season, yeah, that would be better. 
I'm too busy. I want to encourage you to start that transformation today. Start that walk and get people involved in your life. It's, without some of these people, I'd be a fallen man. I know that. I know without these people in my life, I would not be standing here today. So the question, who's standing in your life? And whose life are you standing in? And why can't that start today? Stand with me. Father, we just we thank you for this group of men and women right here. We thank you, Father, that you actually do. Father, may they not just hear this, but may it resonate in their spirit that they are special. Special, they were created specially by you with a specific gift. Father, stir that gifting in the name of Jesus. Stir it up. Open up their eyes to who they were created to be. Open up their eyes to their gifting. But open up their eyes to a desire to be relationally, emotionally, and spiritually mature. That they can carry the weight of where you're sending them and what you're calling them to do within their gifting. May who they are as a son and daughter of God lead where they're going, not their gifting. Yes, your gifting makes room for you, but it makes room for you, who you are as a son and daughter, not just who you are as any way you come, as a son, as a daughter. May you realize the revelation of sonship and daughtership so that you can walk confidently in your gifting to see people transformed by the very thing God created you to be. I just bless you all with peace, with rest, with provision over the next few weeks and and an encouragement to start now in walking in, in towards your maturity in manhood in the power of Jesus Christ. And I just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.